Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of Podcast 360, your go-to resource for medical news and clinical updates. I'm your moderator, Amanda Balby, with Consultant 360 Specialty Network. The HIV epidemic and COVID-19 pandemic are similar in multiple ways, including the demographics affected by each condition. This was the topic of discussion during an expert speaker session at the ANAP 2020 annual meeting. Today I'm joined by the speaker of that session, Dr. Greg Millett, who is the Vice President and Director of Public Policy at AMFAR, the Foundation for AIDS Research in New York, New York. Thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Millett. To start, can you give us a brief overview of your session? First, thank you for the opportunity to, to speak today and to be a part of the podcast, and very happy to be returning to ANAC for the session where we're talking about COVID-19, communities of color, and social determinants of health. Really briefly, I, I give an overview of what has been taking place domestically with COVID-19 and the disparities that we're seeing by race and ethnicity. My colleagues at AMFAR, Johns Hopkins, University of Mississippi, Georgetown University, as well as Emory, uh, we've published a series of papers early in the COVID-19 pandemic to really look at the magnitude of the disparities in Black as well as Latino communities. And the reason that we did this is because you might recall several months ago in April that CDC did not have really good disaggregated data by race to characterize what's taking place with COVID-19 by race or ethnicity. So what we did is we took a look at county-level demographic data across the nation to see in those counties that were disproportionately African-American or Latino if we see differences in COVID-19 cases. And we did see that. And we released those data and made a lot of national news. But the other things that we have done since then, and that's part of my presentation, was to really try and take a look at why. So I go through some of the data that we released over the summer. Then I talk a little bit about the H1N1 pandemic and the fact that um, CDC data were showing that communities of color were disproportionately impacted by that respiratory illness as well. And that really should have been a cautionary tale for us that COVID-19 was going to be an issue that was going to also affect these communities. And then from there, I talk about the social determinants of health and how they affect COVID-19 disparities. From there, I talk about really the implications that we see for HIV, and particularly the plan to end HIV that President Trump released over a year ago, and what that means in this era with COVID-19, the fact that we have more than a plurality of people living with HIV who are over the age of 50. Um, These are the same groups that are also disproportionately impacted by COVID-19, as well as communities of color. Looking at um, some of the specific issues of the COVID-19 recession and how that's impacting communities that are affected by HIV and what that might mean in terms of access to medication or able to adhere to medication. And then I also talk about the Affordable Care Act and its role in really expanding access to healthcare for people living with HIV over the past 10 years, and the fact that that access may be jeopardized within a pandemic of COVID-19. And also make note of the fact that states that had not expanded Medicaid are now looking to expand Medicaid simply because they've depleted their resources through COVID-19. So just in an era where we're actually seeing expansion of ACA, there's you know politics afoot that might take ACA away which means that we will never be able to get to the end of HIV, at least in the short term. So that's the brief overview of the presentation. Perfect. 
You mentioned before that um, populations of color are more, uh, they have higher risk of COVID. Um, and we know from previous research that that's also similar among the pa patients with HIV. Can you talk a little bit more about the specific uh, patient characteristics that you recently found with COVID-19? Sure. There's a lot of similarities that we see between the COVID-19 and the HIV pandemics in terms of who's affected and even our reactions to it. So, for instance, with COVID-19, we see that um, communities of color are more likely to get COVID, despite the fact that you see in data points over and over again that they are more likely to wear masks, they're more likely to social distance. And some of that is because communities of color are more likely to have jobs that are essential workers. They're not allowed to, really can't stay at home and work. And it also exposes them to COVID-19 um, at a greater proportion as compared to white households. There was actually a study from Health Affairs uh, that looked at households in the U.S. that were essential, where there were essential workers or not. And they found that about 47% of white households had at least one person who had to work outside of the home. Whereas that compares to 56% of black households and 65% of Latino households. So communities of color during the COVID-19 pandemic are unfortunately in positions where they have to travel, where they have to be away from home, which exposes them to COVID-19. With HIV, you find something else that's also the same, that people living with HIV, particularly among Blacks and Latinos, we see greater rates of HIV, and people used to assume that people were engaging in greater rates of risk behavior, sexual risk behavior or drug use, et cetera. But while I was at CDC, I published several studies and other colleagues have also subsequently published several studies showing that that's not true, that we see higher rates of HIV in Black and Latino communities, despite the fact that they're engaging in less risk behavior. And some of that is due to greater community prevalence. It's already in the communities that if you have sex with just one person who's uh, with unprotected sex in the Black community, that's very different in terms of the risk as compared to in the white community, somebody having unprotected sex with, say, 10 partners and still not coming into contact with someone who has HIV. So it's a very different scenario. The other thing that's similar between both diseases is the role that healthcare plays and the degree to which access to healthcare can reduce some of um, the outcomes that we see. The other thing that we see as well that's similar between them is access to technology. We know that when antiretroviral therapies became available, that we saw this immediate increase in mortality disparities between blacks and whites living with HIV because blacks were less likely to have access to ART. And then we saw, unfortunately, the same thing play out again with pre-exposure prophylaxis in the mid-2000s when that became available, uh, 2010 or so you see, again, that Blacks and Latinos are less likely to have access to PrEP, despite the fact that they are more likely to contract HIV. And unfortunately, we're seeing the same thing with COVID-19 when it comes to new technologies as well. COVID-19 testing all across the nation, Philadelphia, um, across the South, uh, Chicago, New York City, all through Texas and other places, the tests were primarily placed in white neighborhoods compared to uh, Black or Latino neighborhoods, where you are more likely to see more positives. And having access to that new innovation was part of the reason why we see these greater disparities, because uh, people were not receiving the tests. They didn't know that they were COVID-19 positive. They weren't able to take any preventative behaviors. So there's a lot of similarities that we see between both the diseases and the social determinants of health that really magnify 
these disparities. You see the same thing when it comes to housing segregation, residential segregation, where if you look at those census tracts that are primarily white as compared to more diverse, you have fewer HIV cases. It's the same thing with COVID-19. We published a paper showing the same thing, that you have fewer COVID-19 diagnoses in those census tracts that are primarily white as compared to those with greater communities of color. Uh, You have the same thing with housing characteristics, where substandard housing or homelessness is associated with worse outcomes for HIV. Um, It's also associated with greater likelihood of COVID-19 transmission if people are living in crowded housing. So you have that similarity as well. And then you just have the perennial thing that we always see across data and across different diseases, which is income. People who have low income have higher rates of mortality in the United States as compared to people who have high income. And then we see the same thing operating as well for HIV as well as COVID-19, where people with lower income are more likely to have HIV or COVID-19. One more thing that we see that's similar between the two, and that's immigrant populations. For HIV, we know that non-English-speaking Latino populations are more likely to be diagnosed late with HIV and also more likely to have opportunistic infections soon after diagnosis. Uh, With COVID-19, we're seeing some of the same issues cropping up. Now, there was recently a paper that was published that found that non-English speakers generally had higher rates of COVID-19 diagnosis as compared to people who spoke English. And even in one of the papers that we published looking at those counties that were disproportionately Latino, we found that monolingual Spanish speaking was associated with greater rates of COVID-19 in specific counties. So that's another thing that we see that's similar. And, you know, it's a bit of a shame that we have passed this prologue here. We could have learned from the HIV pandemic to make sure that we didn't have the same disparities for COVID-19. But unfortunately, it seems that history is going to repeat itself and that we're going to continue to have these magnified racial and ethnic disparities because of the social determinants of health. Yes, absolutely. And so now that all of this research has become more available now, um, how do you think these data will affect clinical practice? I definitely couldn't see myself providing advice to many of the ANAC members who are already on the front line who are seeing these disparities in terms of HIV as well as COVID-19 with firsthand experience as compared to what I do as an epidemiologist. So I, I really think that you know many of the people who are listening to the podcast who are clinicians definitely have far more experience um, on what the ramifications are for clinical practice than I do. But I do think that there are certain things that we are doing that we know work. We know that the Ryan White program works, that we can reduce disparities markedly through what's taking place through the Ryan White program. Some of the things that are done that are part of the program, such as providing transportation services for people living with HIV, offering trial services, having health navigators, all of those really help to blunt the social determinants of health and to reduce some of the disparities that we see by race and ethnicity. And we have a lot to contribute to the work that we do in COVID-19 around providing wraparound services for many of these communities to make sure that we can reduce some of the disparities that we see there as well. There's also quite a bit of work in terms of um, health equity that we have seen that also seems to blunt some of these disparities. So for instance, um, in the military, there's been a concerted effort 
for well over 50 years to try and stamp out racism and to promote equality. Um, and that's down to healthcare. You see it in the VA system. You see it in the active military members as well. And there have been several studies that have been published that have looked at various diseases where they see those systems of equity in delivery of healthcare actually reduces disparities for various diseases that are much smaller than disparity as compared to the general population between blacks and whites. And there's something that we can learn from the VA system as well as from the active military system on how we try and stamp out some of these disparities. And then I think the last thing that is probably going to be very important for clinicians who right now are dealing with the dual pandemic of COVID-19 as well as HIV, not to mention the opioid epidemics and other epidemics that clinicians are dealing with, is this is an unprecedented moment to really have your voices heard. We see that we're at a dangerous period right now in the United States where science is devalued, where expert medical opinion is devalued. And I think it's more important now more than ever for clinicians to make their voices heard, to talk about the experiences that they see in person around COVID-19 as well as HIV, and to make sure that people really understand the consequences of both of these diseases and, and the things that we can do to help prevent any new infections for COVID-19 as well as HIV. I think at this point that there's a unique platform that's available uh, for clinicians to, to really share their stories online, on Twitter, quite a few that have gone viral, which, which really brings a human element to what people are facing, what they're seeing on a day-to-day basis in their practices as compared to what most Americans see who are just living our lives. Is there anything else you'd like to add as take-home points? Uh, no, nothing else to add except to, you know, really give my heartfelt thanks and gratitude for all of the clinicians who over the past eight months have been dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic, as well as dealing with really making sure that the needs of their patients living with HIV are met on behalf of many of the community members, on behalf of many of us who are involved in um, HIV policy work. I really am eternally grateful uh, for all of the work that all of you do. Great. Thank you again for speaking with me today and answering all my questions.